0: And now I ask that we would stand as you are able to to recognize the authority of God's word over our lives. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you with. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. This is the word of God. Have a seat. Good morning Christ community, my name is Pat, Um, my wife and I and our three kids are members here at the church, it's my privilege this morning to speak from the word of God. Advent is, uh, those of you who know me, my favorite time of year, Um, and these topics that we're speaking on, uh, joy and peace and love and hope, all find um, such great truths in the word of God. But when you think about peace, what typically comes to mind? Typically, the opposite of peace for most people is something like war or chaos. I looked at good old Webster, and he says that peace is the state prevailing during the absence of war or harmonious relations and freedom from dispute, or the absence of mental stress and anxiety. All of these are good things. When I think about peace myself, I think about my home. Those of you who have been to my home during the day may not immediately think that peace is what describes it, certainly not when the kids are playing tag or chasing each other with Star Wars swords or playing tag with Star Wars swords. Peaceful typically isn't the first thing that comes to mind when there's loud noise and energy on display. However, before 6.30 a.m. and after 7 p.m. or 7.15-ish, my home turns into, for me at least, a peaceful retreat center. My wife loves to give everything in our home a place, and she saves me, really, from my fear of chaos and disorder. She's created one of the most restful living rooms that I have know of. At night, often Christmas music is playing on the speakers, sometimes as early as July. There's a fire crackling, real wood, so we can hear the crackling. We'll have a nice glass of wine or tea, grab a fluffy blanket, blanket of which there are many, and just sit and rest in what feels like peace. And Pam and I have often talked about our longing individually for home. Um, That is that that place in the Garden of Eden where everything felt right and peace reigned and God was very clearly near to his people. You all may have other ideas of what exactly peace or peaceful really looks like, but when we think about peace on a day-to-day basis, often what we're talking about is a circumstantial peace, a peace that was created by moving things that threaten to bring chaos or stress or war or anxiety, like we mentioned before. Well, today's passage and our theme for the second week in Advent has a different kind of peace in mind. It's a peace that is not circumstantial. Rather, it's a peace that stands above circumstances, a soul peace that only God himself is actually able to offer us as a gift. See, on the night that Jesus was born, Luke recounts in his gospel that the angel of the Lord said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The King James Version translated it in a way that's probably really familiar to us. It says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. See, the hope for peace has existed before time began. And yet, that hope for peace entered the world at the Incarnation, when Jesus was born as a child. And today's passage fasts forward to the ministry of Jesus when He begins to bring clarity to the first disciples about His mission, which is not long before He would be crucified. And our task this morning is to generally ask one overarching question. How Does God, through Jesus, offer true soul peace to those who call him Lord? Once again, would you pray with me as we begin our text? Father, I do ask that you would come and bring clarity to this text to our hearts, that you would convict us of sin and show us our need for Jesus, that peace would reign because we are reminded of the truths that you present to us here in your holy word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, since we haven't been studying the book of John, our passage starts kind of right in the middle of a section. Jesus says this in verse 25, okay? You can follow along. We're just going to do those 25 through 29 verses. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, okay? It seems right then that we would just answer the question, what things? What things has Jesus spoken to them? Well, in one way, it could refer to everything Jesus has said up until this point, but In an even more specific context, all of chapter 14 in John, and even chapters that are coming, Jesus will highlight significant truths about his mission. For example, I'll just read a few of them from chapter 14. Verse 3 says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 19, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also live. We could give several sermons on each of these verses alone. But the big picture is this. Jesus has been revealing to them some very significant and yet very difficult to understand truths about his final mission, namely, to depart from them by way of a Roman cross so that eventually he could return to them. So he says, these things, meaning those things we've just read and, and more, I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. Okay. Then he goes on to verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have. Have said to you. Well, the Holy Spirit is God. We certainly affirm this as a church. And yet, the Holy Spirit is often, to my experience, misunderstood, or at least incompletely understood by God's people. When we were studying this passage in our MSC, um, our missional community, this past week, my wife Pam reminded us that uh, this is one of the most important passages regarding the Holy, the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. And the reason is because we see clearly one of the most significant roles of the Holy Spirit, specifically described by Jesus himself. And what's that role? According to Jesus, it's to teach and to bring to memory all that Jesus had said to these first disciples. Now, keep in mind, the New Testament had not been written yet, but the Word of God, that is, namely Jesus, was dwelling with his people and he was teaching them many things. Even so... It's evident in all four gospel accounts that the disciples really didn't understand all that Jesus was saying. See, in just a short while, Jesus was going to leave. How would they ever understand the significance of what they were about to witness in his death and resurrection if they couldn't understand it while he was actually with them? The answer we see here is this. By the powerful instruction of the Holy Spirit, to bring clarity to things that Jesus said that they didn't comprehend. The Holy Spirit, shortly after Jesus' departure, would be sent to the first disciples in order to accurately write the Word of God And what we now have is the New Testament. So fast forward 2,000 years. Everything that God wanted to tell us for the purposes of having faith in Christ and living out that faith in practice is found in this book in the Bible, in the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit, when we confess faith in Jesus, resides in all of God's people, and He helps us. He is the helper to understand God's Word and apply that Word to our lives. So, big takeaway here. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no inspired Word of God to point us to our need for Jesus. Well, it's all well and good. I didn't intend to get a robust theology of the holy spirit how does this relate to peace well, let's read again starting in verse 27 <clears throat> he says peace i leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives do i give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid see here's the centerpiece of this passage this morning The peace that Jesus offers is directly related to the Holy Spirit himself and the work of the Holy Spirit to make the words of Jesus clear. We're going to come back to this verse in a few minutes to understand peace more fully. But for now, let's continue in verse 28 to see what surrounds this verse. Jesus continues. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So look at, what, look at what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why does he say that? Why might their hearts be troubled or afraid? Another way of thinking about this in context would be, why might their hearts have been struggling to have peace? Well, because verse 28 says they've been following Jesus for quite some time now and he told them he's going to leave. No one gets it. It doesn't make sense, which must have made his comments about peace even slightly more confusing to his followers. When Jesus says, peace, I leave with you, scholars would suggest that that particular word would have been a customary Jewish word of farewell. And then he says, after he says farewell, my peace... My peace I give to you. So here you have Jesus saying, don't be afraid, but I'm going to leave. But when I leave, I'm leaving you my peace. The emphasis here is on my. See, when Jesus leaves, the disciples would receive the peace of Christ himself. And he's telling them all these things according to verse 29 so that when he does leave, that they will believe because now they don't believe. They're following Jesus because he's the most significant teacher they've ever known, but they don't yet understand. If they did understand, if their love for him was complete, Jesus tells us that they would have rejoiced that he was going away. In order to believe, they needed Jesus to leave so that the Spirit would come and help them understand all that he had taught them. Okay, so that's that's the context. That's what's happening in the text. Jesus is explaining to them that he's going to depart. He promises them the Holy Spirit to help them understand what he has been teaching and he reminds them that it's good that he goes to be with the Father. So now we're going to go back to the central verse in this passage and see how all this gives us the hope of peace. So Jesus says in 27, again, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, the early disciples were tempted to fear, and Jesus knew it because they were afraid that Jesus would leave them and they would be left without hope. They were afraid of being left alone. So we have to ask ourselves to apply this personally when are your hearts troubled or afraid? In what circumstances? in what specific circumstances. I thought of just a few for myself, some general, some specific. Let me tell you where my heart's troubled or afraid. My heart is troubled when my life feels out of control, which, shocker, we have very little control over most things. My heart is afraid when I face trials that feel overwhelming. And though I can say, because I I know the word that God is good, I struggle to actually live in light of that goodness. My heart can be troubled because other than my wife and one cousin, I have no one in my entire extended family of more than 75 people that I actually believe knows Jesus. My heart is troubled when I know people. To be honest, far too many people that I've known who get diagnosed with horrible diseases that present little reasonable hope for a long life? My heart's afraid when I think of my kids and wonder, am I good enough for them? Am I the dad that they need for their good? Will they walk with the Lord for a lifetime? If you pause for a second, not everything has to be catastrophic that might run through your mind, but fill in the blank right now My heart is tempted to be afraid or troubled because X. See, God truly has made a way. In fact, he longs for us to know peace, a soul peace that stands above and beyond all the circumstances of our lives. But what is the peace of Christ? When he says my peace, what is it and how do we get it? Well, Jesus tells us first what it's not. It's not like the world's peace. Remember I mentioned earlier, when I think about peace, I think about the absence of chaos or noise. I think about my living room, a restful environment, a task list that is checked off and responsibilities that are accomplished. And certainly none of those fears would be present that I mentioned before. The peace of the world is circumstantial. That's what it has to offer us. And in many ways, it can be avoidant. But the truth is, all of us, because of our sin nature, are addicted to that kind of peace in some way. We really crave momentary peace. But here's the problem. It's absolutely true that our attempts at securing peace for ourselves ultimately will disappoint. I'm sure you've experienced this in your life. So what we need and what Jesus offers is a soul peace, an S-O-U-L, soul peace, that exists regardless of our circumstances, and he offers it to us as a gift. And before it will rule our lives, we actually must receive it as a gift. Romans 5, 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, first and foremost, Peace for Christians is peace with God because Christ has paid the penalty of our sin by being hung on a cross in our place. Any attempt at pursuing peace before we confess that Jesus died is for us is momentary and ultimately hopeless because it doesn't deal with the foundational problem that we have, which robs us of peace. That being our sin, our rebellion. There was peace in the Garden of Eden. Perfect peace. But sin destroyed that. And our ultimate problem is that we are not at peace with God if we do not trust what Jesus has done on our behalf. The early disciples didn't get why Jesus came, they didn't get why he had to leave. But thanks to the Holy Spirit, we do. He came, Emmanuel, we sung of this, to dwell with us. And ultimately, die for us. But if you have this peace with God, by God's grace, you can weather a multitude of seemingly chaotic, intensely difficult trials and circumstances of life. Jesus is not at all interested in making our lives peaceful by removing circumstantial chaos and trials Real soul peace is not separated from the person who embodies it, Jesus. And he is entirely concerned with causing us to love and trust him more and more and more, and he will do whatever it takes to make that cause become real. See, one of the dangers that I fall into personally is attempting to purchase a small slice of heaven for myself right now in an effort to buy peace whether that's through nice furnishings or atmosphere, more childcare so I can have more date nights with my wife. But none of these things, you know, while none of these things are inherently bad, it won't work. If I'm honest with myself, I can buy a break from war. I can buy a pause from chaos. I can buy a pause from hardships and grief. But I cannot buy lasting peace. We cannot secure for ourselves a lasting soul peace. Jesus bought that for us on the cross. So we don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. We need something more than strategies to create peace. We need the Prince of Peace to be born as a child, to live a perfect life, to then give his life as a ransom for ours. That secures our peace with God. So when Jesus is about to go to the cross, and eventually back to the Father when he was resurrected, he says this My peace I give to you. And he means just that. In the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, we read this But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Those who trust Christ are adopted as sons and daughters of the King. You're brought into the family of God. That's how we get the peace that belongs to Jesus. Jesus enjoyed perfect peace with the Father and the Spirit in eternity past and will forever in eternity future. Now, as Jesus speaks in our passage, the Spirit has been given to us And as a result, those who trust in Christ have been adopted into his family of perfect peace. Jesus did not have an untroubled life. He did not have a stress-free life or an easy life. Jesus had an incredibly difficult, pain-ridden, and trial-filled life. Yet, he remained the Prince of Peace. His life was marked by peace because he trusted his Father and that trust was unshakable. He trusted in the promises of God. The trust in the sovereign goodness of his Father is what allowed him to endure the cross on our behalf. And because he did, having reconciled us to God, this is where this this passage takes on a whole new meaning for me, Because he did, he secured for us what Philippians 4, 7 says. He gives us the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And that peace, as it also says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus no matter what seeks to rip your peace away. But please know this. The Holy Spirit that dwells in you if you trust Christ does not bring ongoing peace apart from the word of God. That's what he was telling His disciples, they needed to understand the gospel, the good news of all that God was for them in Christ. Jesus has purchased for us a peace that surpasses understanding, but as our time in Hebrews the past several weeks should remind us, if you want to experience the fruit of that peace in your life, the rock-solid peace that calms your soul in the midst of storms, you have to fight daily to know the prince of peace from his word. We must fight with the help with the help of the helper, the Holy Spirit, to remember who we are, to remember what Jesus has given to us, what he has accomplished for us. Only then will we believe that, as the scripture says, in all things God works for our good. Only then will we be able to rest in the midst of chaos and war or we won't be tempted to seek momentary peace before we seek soul peace. See, we're forgetful people. I am. Real soul peace is yours in Christ, and we can thank God who sent the Spirit to help us to remember the promises of God. In this Advent season, I pray that God would help us remember why God came to dwell. See, Jesus saw us in his fear just like he saw his disciples in their temptation to fear, he knew that our hearts would be tempted to trouble. And he didn't just say, calm down, have faith. He did not do that. We celebrate the advent, the arrival of Christ this advent season, because Jesus saw your fear and your troubled hearts, and he stepped out of heaven, and he was born as a child, and he dwelt with us. This is the hope of peace as we look forward to celebrating Christmas season. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that, (laughs) that you truly have offered us peace that surpasses all understanding, that though our hearts may be tempted to secure for ourselves peace here on earth by circumstances, God, you have shown us that our peace can run much deeper Because if God is for us, then no one can be against us. We thank you for Christ who reminds us of these things, who gives us an eternal hope of glory. It is in his name that we pray.